Welcome to Looks Like New on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. This is a show that asks old questions about new technology. We join you on the fourth Thursday of every month on the Old Fashioned Radio, or you can listen online as a podcast. Looks Like New is a production of the Media Enterprise Design Lab at CU Boulder. This month, our guest is Austin Roby. He's a co-founder of Ampled, a cooperatively owned web platform that allows musicians to be directly supported by their community. Ampled was founded in 2018 and is 100% owned by its artists. The question we'll be exploring together uh, today is, can artists control their own business? I'll be sharing this interview that we did together uh, as part of my class at CU Boulder on disruptive entrepreneurship. So you'll hear not only my questions, uh, but questions coming from my students as well. Now, art has long been the vanguard of technology and often is kind of underappreciated as such. You know, I, I think of like uh, my first experiences with file sharing and, you know, really one of the first reasons I got on the Internet when I was when I was a teenager was to share music. You know, I, I first learned to build a website because I was in, a, you know, a, a teenage rock band with my next door neighbor. And uh, he taught me how to, you know, view source and copy code from other people's websites and and use it to make your own. Um, we had a site on GeoCities, I think, and then Angel Fire. Um, that was it was through music that I really first got exposed to uh, to technology, uh, to you know, to the internet, and through music, a lot of new practices and habits of online life have emerged. I think it wasn't really till um, things like Spotify um, that that. Um, that subscription services became a norm, and then this spread through Netflix and and others. You know, became it, it created an experience that people became used to. Same with over and over again. It's not whether the technology is available that matters. It's whether there's something people really want to do with that technology that will make them step into it. But what often happens is that a shift that is driven initially by artists and fans kind of often breaking the rules like sharing files that they maybe don't have the rights to share but they do have the technology to share it uh, you see big companies swooping in and figuring out how to uh, turn that changed behavior into a business model uh, so for as long as you know anybody can remember, there have been email newsletters, um, but now there's platforms like Substack that have really figured out how to monetize uh, those newsletters. And so this pattern raises the question of whether we could have a relationship to, to technology uh, in which the artists were in control and would stay in control. What would they do differently? Now, for a long time now, I've been working with this movement known as platform cooperativism, uh, an effort to try to bring uh, cooperatively owned uh, businesses into the online economy, uh, just like a, a grocery co-op or a, um, a credit union, all businesses owned by the people they serve. This kind of model doesn't really exist in a widespread way um, on the Internet. And maybe if it did, it would help solve some of the deep problems of accountability that the internet has um, has found itself with. And it turns out that as I got into 
uh, this work and was starting to organize the first conference on the subject in 2015, um, I learned that there was uh, a company that was already doing this. And guess what? It was run by artists. It was called Stocksy United, and uh, it was owned and co-governed by the photographers who contributed stock photo, uh, stock photos to this platform. Um, and so then there was Resonate, a streaming music platform owned by its uh, musicians, people uh, who were putting music on the platform for fans who also could become owners uh, to, to enjoy. Um, so in this too, uh, artists were taking the lead. And, and one of the latest uh, platform co-ops to emerge uh, in the context of this uh, coronavirus pandemic is Ampled, uh, a platform that builds on the model that is most familiar as, um, you know, Patreon, uh, as a kind of tool for people to contribute small amounts of money to people whose work that they really appreciate, either on a donation basis or maybe on the basis where they get some extra perks. And uh, Ampled is taking that model a little further by uh, making sure that it's rather than kind of extracting from fans and artists uh, uh, for the sake of the company and its growth, that the company is actually held by them, that it is accountable to them. And Austin is himself a musician, um, and he's building a company by and for fellow musicians, uh, built out of his own and, and their experience of how uh, artists and fans actually relate to each other in the real world, the kind of gift economy uh, that is present when artists and fans are you know, together in the same space. Um, and, and this is really important because it, it points toward what a music industry could look like if it were really um, under artist control, if it were by and for artists. Here, once again, is Austin Roby, co-founder of Ampled. So first, Austin, I wonder if you could tell us about your life before Ampled. Um, what kinds of bands have you been in? Uh, what have the economics been like? What is your experience with uh, you know, the music industry before you decided to start a business in it? Um, well, my, my background... Um... I mean, with music was always kind of something fun to do on the side. Um, I studied architecture and worked um, wow. in, a, in different positions in, um, in design and technology more broadly. So kind of like adjacent to the startup world, but never really in like a high growth startup um, environment before this. Um, my my ex experience with um, music um, was always being in bands and including in college and after college. Um, and that's kind of like my own personal brush with the impact of, um, of like grassroots community support where um, I had an album that was basically written and recorded in my apartment in New York and put on the internet. And uh, I found an audience of people that liked it and um, because we were like a, a pop punk band at the time where that wasn't very popular, um, it seems like uh, we had a disproportionate um, fan base in the UK, um, which led to um, groups like groups uh, in the UK, like punk collectives would invite us over and there'd be people that worked at real booking agencies that would book us and people that would drive us and feed us 
vegan pasta salad and we would crash on couches. Um, and some of those people are still best friends to this day. Um, and we got to do a few of those tours, which was uh, great. And um, yeah, I mean, um, so that, that was my um, own brush, I guess, both with like the power of the scale of the web and with community support at the same time. And so just to give us a bit of a sense of what kind of band we're talking about, what, like, what's the name of your favorite song that that, that band came up with? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) No comment. All right. Um, The, uh, one of the, the songs that I wrote, uh, when I was a teenager and my band had a grammatical error in it, which I also don't want to share, <laughs> which I didn't realize until later, but just horrible, just horrible. So, um, so what led, what brought you from like doing that kind of community su- supported work, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, music on the side, architecture at the center to starting Ample? Um, well, um, hmm. I think, um, I mean, I'd, after, graduating I didn't really want to do architecture so I um I started a company uh, that was like a a digital design and manufacturing consultancy so kind of like drifted across uh verticals a little bit and uh, mostly worked with advertising agencies like using the same design tools to make objects instead of buildings um and that was my first brush with like starting a company. So learned how to look at spreadsheets and um, make sure that re- revenue was higher than cost, et cetera. Like all the things that you don't, um, that some startups don't think about. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's born of just following, um, uh, following my nose a little bit. Um, I think uh, it's also based in just kind of like a, anecdotal observation of having a lot of friends in music and seeing this kind of like asymmetry between um, their lifestyle yet the amount of people that love what they do. And there's some, <clears throat> there's some asymmetry in that value creation and value capture, I think is like pretty clear to see um, whether or not people talk about it or not. Um, and so, yeah, I was really just born out of um, uh, kicking around an idea of, at a birthday party, me and uh, my friend Colin. And um, yeah, just little by little, just, you know, grew to us deciding to execute on it. And um, over the course of time, discovering the cooperative model in, in, in research about um, ownership and what ownership could look like and how that could be different. So break down how the thing works exactly. Um, and I've, I've, become a member just recently, but I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around, like, what, what can you do? What, what is different uh, about what Ample enables you to do that you, know, you might not be able to do elsewhere? So th- it's pretty analogous if you're familiar with Patreon to like a Patreon specifically for music, um, obviously collectively owned by its artists and workers. Um, so it's, it's a means for uh, direct community support on a recurring basis. So um, artists join for free and have a a page um, and can post any content 
that they want really. Um, and, and artists are using it in very open-ended ways. Um, some artists are posting um, demos and alternate versions of songs as their album is being released or, um, or using it like a blog, like written updates. So kind of like any multimedia posts that can be public or, or just for their supporters. And anyone can support an artist directly um, with one uniform kind of pricing model where it's all support what you want um, with a $3 a month floor. So that's the same pricing for, for any particular artist. Um, and, um, and yeah, we have, uh, we opened up the platform, um, in early May and have one artist who's paying her rent through the platform already. So that I'm really happy about that. What, what I mean, you, you, so one's paying the rent, what, what, how many people are doing other things with it? How has the community grown? Uh, and you know, how have people also responded to the idea that they might be co-owners of this thing, that there's, there's ownership built in? Does that really matter to people? Yeah, I mean, so we, we've structured it in as simple a, a way as we could so that when an artist gets 10 supporters, they can become a, uh, an artist owner. Um, and yeah, I think um, it's, it's really attractive, but it's also so novel that it requires explaining a little bit like I think that's part of um, uh, the collective burden of like cooperatives I, I think especially like in tech or especially speaking to younger people I, I think um, is um, there's like this extra kind of layer of um, of educating in accessible ways of explaining the virtues of ownership why it's important and um, the good thing is once um, that's outlined, it becomes like a, a very, very clear value proposition. Like, oh, I'd much rather be a part of this thing. The, the, the platform that looks cooler, that has a better built-in community that, um, that kind of like embodies the spirit of kind of like reciprocal community support that like is embedded in, in music. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something about like the, um, you know, the, the, these, decommodified cultures that become commodities online, right? You know, I mean, the classic one is the, the shift from, from couch surfing where people were staying on each other's couches for free and building this kind of social capital to Airbnb where it becomes a transaction. Um, how do you balance like what is a transaction as opposed to what shouldn't be a transaction? Uh, what is more like a relationship or something like that? What, what kinds of design considerations have you made? Have you incorporated that, you know, are, are trying to be true to that experience that you've had of being, you know, driven around from place to place and supported by these communities? That's uh, a good question. It was, it was actually kind of like many of the first design considerations um, were about that. We use the term transactional a lot. Like what, what are the ways that this could be made to be less transactional? Um, and at the end of the day, it's a crowdfunding platform, but also crowdfunding platforms have a stigma. Um, and this is also um, um, probably one of the more image conscious kind of like groups of people to appeal to. Um, so, and I think part of it is, um, yeah, it's the Kickstarter thermometer, you know, it's, um, 
it's the the tiers, the like gated access. So like that was one of the questions of like how to make it feel less transactional. Um, with with knowing that maybe it would be a feature set that wouldn't appeal as much to podcasters or YouTubers, but that would be fine. Um, and so I think um, we actually have um, a video on our uh, community page that explains all about the design considerations from the outset. Um, and part of those were like deconstructing hierarchy, like in language, not using the term uh, fan, but more of a supporter. Um, and, um, and, and also this, this uniform pricing model, which we um, looked at uh, Fugazi as like a, a, a precedent for that. So like Fugazi, um, 90s punk band, were known for um, being kind of like the, like to the extreme degree, the anti-consumerist band where they had um, all their shows were $5 and all their shows were all ages and they didn't have any merch. And so we initially just called this the Fugazi pricing model where it was always the same, no matter who you were. So that's, that, those were some of the things that we tried to build in, build into it. And I think luckily the, the assumptions have kind of proven out correctly because no one's asking for tiers. No one's asking for, for different, um, for more robust like pricing structures. You're keeping it simple. And what we found is the average support amount is twice what the minimum is. You're listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We'll be right back. We're back at Looks Like New on KGNU Radio. We're talking with Austin Roby, a co-founder of Ampled, which is a cooperatively owned web platform uh, for musicians that musicians and their fans can own and govern together. I'd love to hear more about like what kind of feedback you've gotten from um, from others and, and particularly things that you didn't expect. Like, did you expect a different sort of behavior than what has arisen uh, so far? Well, I think, um, you know, starting this, there are definitely things that we're like, we don't know what we don't know um, when it comes to building a platform like this. Um, and one thing that I've learned from, from feedback is the, the kind of like legal structure of shared ownership, I think um, is, is important and it's, it's necessary, but in my mind, it takes kind of like a backseat to um, perceived ownership, like what does it mean to feel like an owner? And um, it brings up an interesting question that I haven't really seen too many examples of, like what is, you know, what is the UX of ownership? What, is, what does that mean for someone using a platform? How is that different if you're an owner or if you're not an owner? So I think, um, you know, in, in, in these questions of perceived ownership in, in people feeling like an owner, um, that's that's something that we're we're trying to figure out and and continually get better at, um, which is like finding the right number of meetings where we're not exhausted, um, finding the right amount of responsibility that it's not a burden, um, finding the right amount of feedback again where people aren't kind of like drowning in the day to day, um, but enough openness where where people can you know be excited about the vision of what's to come and and feel like everyone's a part of it. Um, 
and um, yeah, you know, make sure there's a feeling of all of us sharing in a collective success. The one other little thing that we've done is just like actually make um, stock certificates. So which are kind of like out of currency, but um, we, we've designed our own cool looking stock certificates and send uh, a letter and, and one of those in the mail to people once they get to 10 supporters. That's great. Yeah, it's, it isn't something you need, but I've seen other cooperatives do that. For instance, here in Colorado, Green Taxi, I remember once being at a meeting where they, uh, you know, one of the drivers showed me his stock certificate, right? And it's this beautiful um, piece of paper that, you know, really mattered. I mean, he had made a huge investment in this, in this cooperative. It was his livelihood. And, uh, you know, it, it, it matters how you represent that. Um, and, no, and 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 the what you say about the the experience of ownership, you know, this is something that large companies of all sorts have been talking about trying to do, even if they're not doing any actual ownership. How do you get employees or other kinds of stakeholders to feel, you know, that sense of ownership? And you know, you would think that actual ownership would would do that for you, but actually, no. You need to you need to wrap something around that, and and uh, the actual ownership you know, can just amplify and, and ground um, that experience you still have to create. Now, are you, I'm curious about how things are, um, uh, are affected by this pandemic. You know, you've, you've launched in the context uh, where musicians are really struggling in many cases, uh, where the, their, if their livelihoods were derived from, from in-person shows, they're, um, they, they don't have access to those anymore. Uh, what, you know, how has the, how is launching in the context of this pandemic um, changed the meaning of, of Ampled for, uh, for you? And, you know, how has it changed how you've had to, how you've had to grow and operate? Well, um, it's been tough, especially because we're um, mostly all based in New York too. And uh, the first few months were really tough. Um, like Colin, the other co-founder got like a pretty, like bad case of, of COVID. I think it was one of the first thousand confirmed cases in New York and that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough to build something like this when everyone's healthy. So that like, you know, wasn't, um, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. Well, we, we were able to like <clears throat> get, um, get the product out the door by early May. Um, and yeah, I mean, it is, um, I, th I think at, at the beginning, I mean, the like cultural sea change has changed so much from month to month. Um, I remember at the beginning, there was a large, there's a conversation around uh, the tech clash, if people still think that, that was a problem, because actually people were using Facebook and Google to the way, way they were kind of like supposed to be to connect with each other. Um, but I mean, the one thing that's, that's obvious is that uh, musicians are, are struggling in like a very existential way right now. And, but I also, you know, struggling with the relationship to platforms as that's becoming more and more important. And, um, you know, maybe one of the positive things about this time is like the unimaginable is now imaginable. So um, I think um, where a lot of people may have questioned uh, if Ampled is um, necessary or um, 
possible before. I think some it's it's allowed people to I think like take us a little bit more seriously now. Um, and the other thing that's happened, just you know, we've grown our group of contributors and worker owners pretty significantly. Um, we have a lot of people that are former Kickstarter employees working with us. So they, these are people that are um, more in Kickstarter United. I think the first tech union maybe in history I'm, uh, for at least a mature uh, tech startup. Um, and so we had a lot of people that were suddenly without jobs in, in tech that were, were reaching out to us because they wanted to work on something that they felt like was more um, sustainable um, as a model and um, avoided some of the pitfalls that they've seen from the inside. And they happen to be mostly musicians as well. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's been obviously a mixed bag in like a, a terrible time. <laughs> yeah, I'm reminded of a, another um, platform that focuses on classical music, Group Muse, that is, uh, uh, is in the process actually of figuring out how to become a cooperative. And they um, had a real boost initially at the beginning of the of the pandemic, I understand, but you know, have have still had to struggle with the fact that they they this is a platform for organizing house concerts, right? For organizing concerts that pack, you know, people into small rooms. And so um, their model had to completely turn over um, to uh, to you know to, to online and and um, and you know they're they're having to adjust to that. Um, it, one thing that we've noticed among some of these uh, a, a pattern of the online economy that's replicating among these cooperatives like like yours is the kind of internal inequality right so like um, in stocks united this has been studied there by Juliet Shore the sociologist this is a stock photo platform uh, for uh, uh, for photographers videographers and it's owned by the artists um, they, uh, see a pretty small number of the artists reaping a lot of the benefits because they're producing more work, their work is getting sold more, um, and there's kind of a long tail of people who are making just a little. Are you seeing similar patterns forming? Um, is this something that you, if, if you are, that you're trying to counteract, or do you think that sort of inequality is okay? Well, um... I guess it depends on how you would frame it um, because I think that's what like, you know, this 80, 20 rule that, that ends up happening on a lot of uh, platforms. Um, Break that down for people who, who aren't familiar with it. Well, I think it's um, super useful. <laughs> Pareto's curve or Pareto's law, I think it's referred to, which is um, it's a pattern that, that occurs naturally in business very frequently, which is 80% of um, business or revenues typically come from 20% of customers or 20% or of producers. I know in, in music, at least, um, I think in music, it's typically worse. It's about 90-10. So it's like um, the top 10% um, of musicians may make 90% of all industry revenue. Um, so I think yeah, in, in in some ways, that's kind of like a natural phenomenon that that um, that I think should be expected. I know that um, 
Patreon, I think, follows like a similar law. Um, I think the question is whether um, whether that's reinforced, uh, whether those like power law dynamics end up being reinforced by the the way the platform is written. So like, um, where the people with outsized support get outsized visibility or have outsized say in how the companies run. So I think. Um, yeah, we have, I mean, that's definitely happened with us. There, there are plenty of people um, that um, that have signed up but haven't yet launched their page and, you know, a, a couple people doing really well and, oh, a, a, you know, people in the middle. Um, I think, um, you know, our way of thinking about that in the bylaws was to add um, this threshold for becoming a member, which we wanted to have uh, satisfy this criteria of being as low as possible, um, but also enough where people are actually, you know, they're kind of using the platform. So we decided 10 supporters was as simple metric as we could come up with that was kind of like a captcha. Um, like, are you using the platform? Um, and, you know, I guess with the kind of like co-op, um, uh, one member, one share, one vote ethos, um, hopefully won't have power law distributions that are unfair in terms of the actual organization and the say, I, you know, really wanna just make it so that however people want to participate, they can. Um, but it, it uh, I fear that it likely will be true that there are some like outsized people making, um, having the, the platform work better for them. But I don't know. Um, I, I, yeah, the, the trick is to be um, egalitarian among, like in the actual organization and the app itself. Now, what are your visions for growth here? Because, uh, you know, what you're up against, for instance, Patreon, a venture backed company that um, was able to grow with gobs and gobs of investor money. Um, that's something that is harder for cooperatives to access. Um, first of all, like, what are you trying to grow into? Like, what scale do you do you imagine yourself having? And and you know, what are your current ideas for for how to get there? Well, I think um, I think a company with ten people working there could be seen as a success as as long as we're sustainable and we're able to. Um, um, build and deliver a, a platform with feature parity of the features that, that are cared about um, and, and are self-sufficient and self-reliant. That's something that a company like Patreon doesn't have. They are, they are bleeding money um, because they're, they're kind of like operating by the standard startup playbook of like operate um, with heavy losses after raising a bunch of money, um, try to monopolize or capture as much of a large addressable market as possible. And then you liquidate ownership and then people cash out. Um, so for us, it's a definitely a priority of self-sustainability um, and organic growth. Um, so I would, I mean, I would love to see us delivering a million dollars a month to artists. And I think, I think that's possible. Um, and 
I don't think we have to be a company with a hundred employees to, to deliver on our mission. And, you know, part of the way that we're thinking about scale is intentionally um, addressing a smaller market. So there have been plenty of people when we started that said, Oh, this is really interesting. Um, you have shared ownership and people could see that as like a unique differentiator and way to, to get people to buy into something. And one of the, the kind of follow-ups that I think buys into a lot of um, uh, startup assumptions in startup culture would be to say, oh, well, why don't you offer this for podcasters, for YouTubers, for illustrators, for stand-up comedians? Um, you have this platform that could serve all these people and um, you should go after all these different types of markets and verticals. And we've, from the beginning, just said no to that. Um, so we have um, a policy for approval where in order to be approved for a page, you have to be a music related project that records and performs music. That's a pretty simple criteria that I think fits a lot of people under that umbrella. Um, but it's also very clear about the intended scale of this. And when people ask the question of why, it's for uh, it's to make sure that we are responsive to a constituent community, that they're represented fairly in governance, and that the product is better if, if for one specific um, set of needs, which already are divergent between different artists in, in different ways. Um, so I feel like we all have a better product, better, more responsive organization um, by intentionally keeping it smaller, but I would argue that it's not really a small market. This is Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Looks Like New on KGNU. We're speaking with Austin Roby, who's co-founder of Ampled, a cooperatively owned web platform uh, for and by musicians and their communities. As I said before, we're doing this interview in my disruptive entrepreneurship class. So I wanna open the conversation up to students now. Jack has a question, do you wanna ask? Uh, how do you view the music industry changing over the next 15 years? Um, man. Um... Well, I mean, if, if you follow the, the trend lines that exist now, I would assume it's more consolidation until what? Until something else happens, until it breaks or hits a wall. So I feel like something will happen before 15 years. I mean, what we're seeing now is like uh, a number of organizations that are really promising uh, for artists organizing together, like Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, there's Music Workers Alliance. Um, and yeah, I think we'll continue to see more financialization, more consolidation. Yeah, the, the trend will be all, all things pointing in the wrong direction. And then I think um, um, ho hopefully some serious grassroots movements coming out um, in response. Okay, Alex has a question. You want to go ahead? Yeah, for sure. So I was just curious when going about building an online uh, platform, how did you go about actually building the website? Did you 
uh, hire some exterior coders. And then to add on to that, I was just wondering, is there anything you wish you would have known before you actually got into this market, things that you could tell someone to kind of avoid if possible? Um, yeah, it's really hard to build a platform. Uh, it's, um, yeah. Um, and that was the struggle of the first year, year and a half. Um, so Colin and I, um, you know, I, I should know we have like 30 people now helping to build or grow the platform in some way, 19 of them worker owners, the rest of them, um, probationary worker owners or on their path to becoming worker owners. Um, and Colin and I did not, we don't know how to code. Like Colin's background is working at IBM Design Lab as a product leader, which is relevant experience of managing teams to build tech products. Um, and I had run a much smaller scale business before. So the tangential experience, what we, um, we had friends to lean on initially. Um, and that was enough to get like a very basic kind of like look and feel. Colin's also a designer. So we, he did all, he's done all the creative direction and design for the website. Um, and the, the actual answer to the question is like over time, we added more and more people um, that saw what we we're doing and wanted to sign up and become a part of what we we're doing. So we kind of just like built it, put our flag up in the air, and then people started reaching out and saying, I want to work on this. There were people, we have um, like a senior, former senior engineering manager from Patreon reach out and was like, I want to work on, on this. Um, and people from Spotify, they're like, I want to work on this. People wow. from Kickstarter that wanted to work on it. Um, cool. And what we did was, uh, we I think it's like this, uh, what we what we found was we were able to resource the the building of the platform with collective labor rather than VC money. So at this point, we're not even looking for investment. Um, we're we're figuring out ways to channel all of this collective labor into building it. So that's that's the way that we've been able to build it is by a lot of people working nights and weekends. Um, so we don't need um, millions of dollars. Um, if you get the people together first to build it, um, then you don't need all the venture capital money. The venture yeah. capital money goes to pay laborers as subordinates, but if you bring them on as equals first, then you don't need that step. Hmm. Really cool. Yeah, it can be uh, really expensive otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and it, but I mean, it's hard to find VC money anyways. I, I feel like it's actually easier just to find people to work on a, a, a product, but it's, I mean, it's, it's really difficult nonetheless. I mean, there's, there's plenty of ideas, people, and really like the, the challenge is the execution. That's definitely the hardest part. Probably more beneficial than VC money too. Yeah, we have no one breathing down our neck. We feel free. We can do whatever we want. That's really cool. Well, thank you. Sure. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, a lawyer that we both know who reminds people that the cheapest money is revenue. Um, you know, everything else comes with uh, comes with strings. Uh, Ryan, uh, you have a, I think, really interesting question. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I was just wondering, um, since it sounds like your platform is more intended to be made for like 
new or rising uh, musicians. I was wondering what are some of the ways that you gear it to specifically help those smaller artists uh, rather than like more well, well-known ones? Uh, like if, for instance, if Post Malone or Drake were to make an account, uh, would that kind of defeat the point of the platform or would it maybe help it grow, get the word out or something like that? I, um, th- th- I mean, now that would really worry me. I would like that, that, that I think would actually probably be bad for us. Um, it would just be too much to handle at once. Um, so, um, I think, I, I, I don't know, I'm confident that it'll find um, kind of like a natural stasis in some way, like of the scale of, of artists on the platform. Um, and we'll see. Um, I think generally the problem ends up being the contracts that large artists like Drake or Post Malone sign, um, which are much more restrictive in terms of what they own. Um, but at the same time, we've seen people like Cardi B join OnlyFans. So I think it's more, it seems more possible than it did a year and a half ago. Um, so I would say, you know, I think initially when we were building it, we imagined what we would call like pitchfork scale artists on the platform, people with an audience um, and some level of recognition, but maybe niche in some way. Um, But I, it's definitely possible the larger artists would join. I don't, um, I don't see too much that would stop them. Um, So I guess in my rambling answer, you can tell that we're, we're just like kind of seeing how things unfold. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sean has a question next. You want to go ahead? Yeah, uh, I just wanted to uh, ask what your opinion was on Spotify and how they compensate their artists. Uh, Like they have this new uh, kind of promotion, I guess, for artists where they can receive an algorithmic bump to be put into more playlists. But as a trade off, they'll get paid even less. And I thought about this and I was like, damn, like if everyone just opts in, then it won't really make a difference. Uh, between artists like getting more of a bump than others and then Spotify just has to pay their artists less again. Yeah, um, I think it's a, a, a huge problem. Um, I mean, I think it's becoming more and more apparent too. Um, I'm just, it. what strikes me is how arbitrary the pricing is and how it's, I think, kind of like in da- dangerous to accept it as um, like a premise that we accept that this is a a model that that should be followed. What um, I actually, I wrote um, like an op-ed piece on Spotify arguing that the best way to fix Spotify is actually to carve out um, an ownership trust for artists um, and actually make artists a shareholding block. And the, my, my thoughts, and I, I, I would say like the thesis of Ampled would, would say um, that when you see the decisions being made at Spotify with regards to how the payouts are made, um, you can trace those directly back to incentives 
and their incentives based on ownership. They're a publicly traded company. They're owned, um, you know, uh, besides their founders, which collectively own like 14% of the company, uh, they have, um, it's all multinational investment banks that own them um, and they're looking for growth. So what, what we try to highlight is that there's a st structural misalignment of interest. It's in the best interest of investors to have artists pay more. Um, and none of the decisions are being made on what's in the, in the artist's best interest or what helps serve artists' most basic needs. Um, that's the PR department's job. But like the real decisions are being made based on the um, interest of who owns it. And so that's that, if, if anything, we're trying to channel this frustration into, well, let's talk about ownership and figure out a, a better way forward. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And it's striking how, you know, some of the biggest companies in the platform economy, like uh, Uber and Airbnb have actually asked the Securities and Exchange Commission for better ways to share ownership with their users. Uh, so it's a it's an amazing thing that even these companies set up, you know, apparently with gobs of money, uh, actually also see uh, potential value in in being better aligned with the people who are actually contributing value on the platforms. Um, let's see, Jack has another question. Do you want to uh, come forward? So if you or if more artists see success going the independent route, do you think there's any way record labels become extinct or do you just think they would change to become something new and fit the times? Um, I think there's a, a lot to be said about the future of labels and it's actually not really a conversation that we have been able too much I, I, because we don't feel like um, what we're doing is actually uh, in opposing interest to labels. I, I know a lot of people would think that, but we've talked to people that run labels and what, what we would say is, well, it's in everyone's best interest to put more money in the pockets of artists. They can tour more, they can be less stressed about their lives and focus on writing and recording music more. Um, that being said, if you were to, um, start from scratch in 2020 and design like design a, a business model around investing in in artist recordings and distribution it wouldn't look anything like the, a record label of the 90s so they're they're definitely I mean my, my personal point of view is there's really less and less reason to have a label as time goes on but um um, I think we're kind of already seeing that. You mentioned like a trend towards independence, which is happening. Um, and I think could dovetail well with this argument of, of ownership. You know, if people, people want to own their, their master recordings. Um, and there's a lot more education on that than there used to be um, of owning 100% of your publication rights or the royalties that come from, from your music. So I think um, I think there is like a groundswell of like a trend towards independence, and um, yeah, um, I still find that many artists, particular like especially younger artists, are initially unfamiliar with the co-op model, 
but it seems um, like if there's any group that's that's ready and eager to adopt these models, it would be musicians. And I think um, that that's part of my optimism for like how Ample could potentially make a bigger impact is that um, I think a lot of cultural movements start or a lot of a lot of broader cultural movements can start um, in music. Um, so I think, yeah, uh, thinking about labels differently, thinking about um, an independent career, uh, creative career um, aligns with that too. And one pattern I've been noticing in journalism is, is as some of the larger, um, uh, uh, you know, journalists with the biggest followings uh, are moving over to Substack and running their own, essentially their own kind of personal newsrooms. It ends up kind of potentially diminishing the um, the role of the collective newsroom and maybe making it so that the their charisma is not helping to support, you know, hardworking, uh, uh, you know, nose to the grindstone kind of uh, investigative reporters. Musicians, it might be kind of different because the unit of activity is collective much more. Um, but I also wonder about the, the where this fits in with what you said about scale earlier, right? Like um, if there was somebody who showed up with another ampled or something with a very similar model, um, maybe also a co-op or maybe not, you know, how do you perceive them given your own perceptions? I mean, the, if you're Patreon, you have to eliminate them because you know, your job is to take up the whole market. Um, do you have a different perspective? Um, have you had that experience so far where you've run up against direct competitors? Well, I think firstly, it's the, the co-op model is an interesting defense mechanism too, because um, being perceived as trying to undermine an artist's own organization is not something that anyone wants to be doing. Um, so I feel like that gives us a lot of room to throw throw bricks at Patreon. And I don't think they'll ever respond to us. Um, but um, um, in terms of other groups, it's a question that we've asked from the beginning is around the same question of like, well, what about these other verticals that people bring up that you could, you could serve? Stand-up comedians, podcasters, YouTubers. And uh, we had kicked around ideas like what is like maybe it's like a federated cooperative or something like that I, if we write code that could be utilized for different verticals then maybe there's something there um but i think we ended up you know every step of the way we've tried to just simplify things as much as possible and what we ended up kind of coming to um uh, conclusion too is just if if there's a group that organizes the people which is one of the hard parts and gets like a, a team together um that can build something like this or build on to what we're doing then we would likely just be open to giving a very generous license to our code base as as a starting point um something that other people can build on so if there's a community of podcasters that want to start something. Well, it probably wouldn't look exactly like Ample, but it would have a lot of the same foundational logic. Um, and yeah, um, same thing for kind of like any other vertical of creator that would 
start like a membership program or, or something on Patreon. So yeah, I think we just, it, it goes against so, like so much of what startup people would say is um, rational. It would be like, well, you, you should capture all that value, but it's, we just feel like it's, um, we'd rather just help other people serve their, their base and not try to profit off of them. Like we don't, we're not trying to extract value from musicians on Ampled and we don't want to extract value from podcasters on another platform. Well, a question that a friend has been asking uh, has been like, why isn't the internet economy more like cooks, you know, more like chefs, right? Where, you know, it's, it, success still looks pretty small scale. You know, you might have a really nice restaurant, but it's still not, you know, it's not a conglomerate that takes over the entire city or, or, or you know, building a chain can actually hurt your value, right? Uh, and, and so much of it has to do with how we financed and how we've structured our tech companies. And so the very idea that you would just want to focus on a particular area um, seems kind of foreign. It's like, why wouldn't you want to eat the world? Um, but you know, your model kind of gives you, gives you the opportunity to, uh, to think that way. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's one of, I mean, some of the initial questions that we had starting and I think part of this is because I read that like Malcolm Gladwell book uh, of uh, like David and Goliath and I think it's called Goliath, but we're thinking about what are things that we could do that other large companies just couldn't. Like we're not going to out like, like we don't match the kind of like persona of someone that, that someone would invest a bunch of money in. And we know we're not going to out raise people like we're not going to beat people at their own game. So what are the things that, that we could do that, that other large companies just can't. And um, that's, that's part of like the, what we're, what we're trying to do is like making something that's that much more attractive for artists to join. It's, you know, there's a, there's a built-in community. You can actually own it. Um, you know, we're building an option uh, where artists can choose their own membership dues to pay back on a sliding scale. Um, and yeah, and it's just for musicians. I think like that, that, that would be off the table for any other platform. You've been listening to Looks Like New on KGNU Radio, a show that asks old questions about new tech. We've been speaking with Austin Roby, co-founder of Ampled, a cooperatively owned web platform that allows musicians to be directly supported by their communities. You can find out more about it at ampled, A-M-P-L-E-D.com. I'm Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at CU Boulder. Looks Like New is a production of CU's Media Enterprise Design Lab, and you can find out more about our work at colorado.edu slash lab slash medlab. Now, I'd love to hear anything from you about uh, how you like this show and any ideas about future shows. Uh, please feel free to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and you can reach me at medlab, M-E-D-L-A-B, at colorado.edu. I hope you'll join us next month.